0: Does it ever feel like God is missing in your life? Does it ever feel that God is missing in your life? Where is the grace? Where's the mercy? We love the phrase guilt, grace, gratitude, but what is its opposite? What is the opposite of guilt, grace, gratitude? The opposite is 1 Samuel chapter 31. Chapter 31 is a very dark passage, a godless passage. Yahweh's name is never mentioned in this chapter. No one prays to God. No one seeks for God. He's not found. There's no grace. There's no mercy. It's as if... God has passed over chapter 31. It's as if God has passed over Saul's life and left him on his own in his sin and misery. Why is God missing from chapter 31? Where is God? where is Yahweh? That's the title of my sermon this morning. Where is Yahweh? It's a question I want to answer in this text. Where is Yahweh? And how do you find God when he seems missing from your life? Now, the first question we have to answer is obvious. Is God really missing from this text? And to find that answer, we look at verse 1, and we see in verse 1, it says, Now the Philistines fought against Israel. Now, this fight has a context, and that context is chapter 29. If you have Bible, turn with me to chapter 29, verse 1, it says, Now the Philistines had gathered all their forces at Aphek, and all the Israelites were encamped by the spring that is in Jezreel. They're ready for battle, and David's ready for battle, and David is joined to the Philistines at this time, if you remember. But verse 4 says, but the commanders and the Philistines were angry with David. And the commanders of the Philistines basically said, send him back. Get him out of here. He will not fight for us. So these Philistine generals would not let David fight with the Philistines. They were afraid and wisely so that David might turn on them. And so they say, send him away but we know that it was God's providence that protected David from himself. David was in grievous sin. David was away from the Lord, but the Lord met David through these generals, and providence kept David from sinning. David was about to sin, a sin so grievous against Israel that Israel would have never forgiven him. David was in sin, yet God God saved David at Aphek. God is present in chapter 29. He is present in chapter 29, and he is there to bless David. And Saul is also the context. Saul was also prepared to fight the same fight in chapter 28 when he sought the medium at Endor. And he sought this medium, and it reads in verse 4 and 6 of chapter 28, But the commanders... Oh, excuse me, chapter 28. I'm in the wrong chapter. Where are we at? Chapter 4. The Philistines assembled and came and encamped at Shunem, and Saul gathered all Israel, and they encamped at Gilboa. When Saul saw that the army of the Philistines, he was afraid, and his heart trembled greatly, and so he inquired of the Lord. He sought out this diviner, right? He seeks out this medium, and he seeks out this medium, and it says he goes to the medium at night, and he cries out to the medium, or the medium finds... Samuel, right? And Samuel reminds David that there is no answer from the Lord because the Lord has already answered, Saul, in chapter 15. In chapter 15, the Lord answered. In chapter 15, actually, the Lord rejected Samuel. In chapter 15, he rejected Samuel. So in chapter 28, God doesn't answer. Although he does answer in Samuel, and the answer is condemnation. So God is present in chapter 28. But he's present, he's there to condemn. Now in chapter 30, as chapter 31 is happening, chapter 30 is happening. These two chapters are 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 contemporary. They're together. And in chapter 30, David was in great sin and misery. He was without God. He was with the Philistines. And in that sin, misery came calling. Misery came home. And David and his his family were, were taken by the raiders and all of his possessions, his wives, his children taken misery, great misery. And David fell on his knees and the Lord answered. And the Lord provided greatly, blessed David. The Lord was in chapter 30. The Lord was present in chapter 30 to bless David. And now in our chapter, chapter 31, our context, we find Saul. And Saul is going into battle, and Saul faces misery. Verse 1, it says, and the men of Israel fled before the Philistines. uh, They fled before the Philistines, and they fell slain at Mount Gilboa. Saul is losing his people. And not only does he lose his people, verse 2, and the Philistines overtook Saul and his sons, and the Philistines struck down Jonathan and Abinadab and Malkiashua, the sons of Saul. He's lost his children. He's lost his people. He's lost his children. Saul is in sin. Saul is in misery. Yet instead of deliverance, God's name is never invoked. Saul doesn't fall on his knees, God is not in the chapter. No one seeks for God. There's no prayer. There's no help from God. Which is a very interesting way to end the book. If you think about 1 Samuel, 1 Samuel actually begins with a woman in need, a woman in misery. That's how the book begins. The book begins with a woman in misery. And she fell on her knees and the Lord answered and provided Samuel to Hannah. And then Hannah did something very remarkable, something that Really, you don't ever see in scripture or anywhere in reality. The Lord provided, and she gave the gift back to God. The Lord provided her a son, and she gave her son back to the Lord, back to Eli. And if you remember Eli, the Lord was silent to Eli. The voice of the Lord was not heard in Israel because of Eli. But then here comes Samuel, and the voice of the Lord returns to Israel. Israel gets the voice, they get the word of the Lord. that's really the book. The book is guilt, but then this grace, this grace of this word of the Lord, the word of the Lord's return to Israel, but then the book ends with silence. God is gone once again. First Samuel ends without God. It's just Saul in his sin, Saul in his misery and death. Verse 3, the battle says, it says the battle uh, pressed hard against Saul and the archers found him and he was badly wounded by the archers. In the Hebrew, it's as if all of the archers took aim. Each and every man took aim and each and every man hit their mark. Think Boromir. Picture Boromir in the fellowship of the ring when he finally becomes valiant once more. He becomes valiant again. He saves Mary and Pippin from the orcs and ends up looking like a pincushion that's Saul here that's Saul he is about to die he's lost his people he's lost his son he's about to lose his life Then he said to his armor bearer draw your sword and thrust me through lest these uncircumcised come and thrust me through and mistreat me you didn't want to, in the ancient world you didn't want to be caught by your enemies in the ancient world to be caught by your there was no Geneva code of war It was execution by torture. But his armor wouldn't do it, it says. The armor-bearer would not, for he feared greatly. He no doubt feared this was the Lord's anointed. He would not put his hand to strike the Lord's anointed. So Saul had to take his own life. He took out his own sword. He fell upon it. And the loss is total, verse 6. And when the armor-bearer saw the Saul was dead, he took his own life. He died. It says he fell upon the sword and died with him. Thus Saul died, his three sons, his armor-bearer, all his men on the same t- day together. The Bible is saying there that Saul's loss was total. He lost everything. He's lost his family. He's lost his life. He's lost his people. He's lost the kingdom. Verse 7, and when the men of Israel who were on the other side of the valley and those beyond the Jordan saw the men of Israel had fled... And that Saul and his sons were dead. They abandoned their cities and they fled and the Philistines came and lived within them. They wisely saw that they were going to leave and they opted to become war refugees. And they flee the countryside. The Philistines come in, take the spoils. The loss is total. Saul has lost everything. His family, his kingdom, his people, his own life. And the verbs. If you look at the verbs in the Hebrew or in the English, the Hebrew, but also in the English, if you look at the verbs, the verbs really tell the woe. The ver- the verbs tell the story. We see the verb to flee. It's he, he flees three times. Fall and fallen are used four times. Strike down twice. Wounded three times. Thrust through twice. Die. The word, the verb, die four times. Stripped off. Cut off. Nailed to nailed his body. All these verbs together show that it's misery. It's sin, it's misery, and the end is death. All because God is missing from this text. And because God is missing, there is no grace. Saul was simply left in his sin, and death was the result. Now, the question for us is, why is God not in chapter 31? Where is God? Juxtaposed to this chapter are chapters 30 and 29. Because during this event, chapters 30 and 29 are happening. In chapters 30 and chapters 29, there was sin. And one could argue, and one probably should argue, that David was the greater sinner in these chapters, You see, Saul simply sought the devil. Saul sought the devil for information for God's people, but David joined the devil to kill God's people. One could argue that David is the greater sinner, yet David is delivered. David is delivered at Aphach. David is delivered at Ziklag. But not Saul in Gilboa. In Gilboa... For Saul, there was only death. Guilt, no grace, death. And why was God missing in Gilboa? And the answer is predestination. This is the doctrine of predestination, David I have loved, but Saul I hated. The difference between these chapters is the difference between God's election and reprobation. Chapter 29 and 30 are election texts, so God is there. The background of election is grace. The background of election is God's love. God's love for sinners is the reason for election. Paul tells us in Ephesians, in love he predestined us to adoption as sons. In love he predestined. The doctrine of election is God's eternal and undeserved grace. So in chapter 30, we found grace. God blessed David, not because David had done anything good or bad. It wasn't because of David, but because of God, in order that God's purpose of election might continue, not because of works, but because of him who calls. So God blessed David. God blessed David because of what God had done. God chose David to be his king. He predestined him according to the purpose of him who works all things together after the counsel of his will. So chapter 31 is a reprobate text. So condemnation is the background and God is missing. You see, in the doctrine of reprobation, God leaves the sinner. In the doctrine of reprobation, God leaves the sinner in the valley of the shadow of of death to love what he loves most. He leaves the sinner in the valley of death to love what he loves most, and he loves sin. And the companion of sin is misery. And the wages of sin is death. I don't like preaching reprobation. The reformers called it a dictum horribile. The tretobele, it is a horrible decree. And condemnation is an awful reality. So why preach it? Because we must preach the full counsel of God's word. And the scripture bears witness to the fact that God has not chosen all. So the Bible uses words like destined, appointed, or ordained to teach the doctrine of reprobation. You can follow along with me if you'd like. 1 Thessalonians 5.9. Or just listen as I read this text. your you're a highlighter, you might want to highlight your Bible. You can't always just highlight the, the parts we like. 1 Thessalonians 5.9 says, For God has not destined us for wrath, but to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ. And the us there is important. For God has not destined us. Who's the us? The church. To whom Paul is writing, the Thessalonians. Thessalonians. He has not destined us. Those to whom Paul is writing, the church, is not destined to wrath. We are destined to glory. Yet those outside of Christ are what? What's the good and necessary consequence of the text? Destined for wrath. First Peter 2, verse 7 through 8 says, Well, maybe I gotta give you time. How fast are you, can you turn there? Or, or, or first, just trust me. First Peter 2, verses 7 through 8. So the honor is for you who believe, Peter writes. But for those who do not believe, those who do not believe, the stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone and a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. They stumble because they disobey the word as God destined them to. Those who hear God's word and don't believe who condemn it, those who despise our faith were destined to it. They don't believe because they're sinners. And God has not destined them to be otherwise. And no one can escape God's predestiny, Jude 4. Jude 4 says, for certain people have crept in unnoticed. People have crept into the church and they're leading the church away. And Jude is counteracting these heretics, basically. He says, for certain people have crept in unnoticed who long ago were designated for this condemnation. They were designated to creep into the church and to lead it astray, which is their condemnation. For they were designated for this condemnation, Jude says, ungodly people who pervert the grace of our God into sensuality. Sensuality and deny our only master and Lord, Jesus Christ. Predestination might be an awful decree, but it is biblical, and its condemnation is sure. Verse 8 of our text says, the next day when the Philistines came to strip the slain, they found Saul and his three sons fallen on Mount Goeboa. So they cut off his head and stripped off his armor and sent messengers throughout the land of the Philistines to carry the good news to the house of their idols, to their people, and they put his armor in the temple of Ashtaroth, and they fastened his body to the wall of Bethshan. Paul, excuse me, Saul's life, Saul's life ends with idols. You see, Saul has made his life, Saul's life was a life of idolatry. And he ends his life with the idols, he made his bed. In life, he consulted with idols, he made his bed. And here the idols have won. Here's the head of Yahweh's anointed. Yahweh appears defeated. Yahweh's absent. Why was God missing? Because this is hell. Chapter 31 is hell. A loss of everything. I don't like preaching hell either. Why preach it? So I got to preach the full counsel of God's word. And people want to get rid of hell. You know who the greatest preacher of hell was in the Bible? Who's the greatest preacher of hell? <laughs> Amen. Finally, somebody answers me. The greatest preacher of hell, the person who spoke about hell more than any other character in the Bible, is Jesus Christ. And Jesus believed it was real. And for Jesus, it was eternal. For Jesus, it's painful. And for Jesus, it's deserved. It's just. If you want to escape hell, you got to go to Christ. You see, hell is what we deserve. And God would be just to let us all suffer. It's his mercy, which is found only in Christ, that saves us from our sins. And God simply, in this text, what God is doing is he simply passed over Saul. He's leaving Saul to himself himself. He left Saul in his sin, he left Saul in his mercy, misery, to get what he deserved. So there's no salvation, there's no grace. There was only a sinner left in his misery. And this is the doctrine of reprobation. And it might be awful, yet it's not without its comfort. You see in God's word of judgment against Saul and we see that God's word of judgment against Saul is true. First Samuel 15 he declared that he would die. And it's true. And we can be equally assured of his promise his word of promise to David. And no matter how much David said, we're gonna go into 2 Samuel soon, and you wanna see a sinner? You ain't seen anything yet. You think David's a sinner now? You haven't seen anything yet. But what we're gonna see in 2 Samuel is the grace of God restoring the sinner over and over again because he chose him. He promised to protect, he promised to provide for David all his life in life, and in death. And what matters in this world of darkness is that God is true and faithful to his word. Here's an important word for you, dear Christian. Isaiah 42.3. The prophet writes, and this is the promise of God, a bruised reed he will not break, and a faintly burning wick he will not quench. Do you ever feel like God is missing from your life? Why? Is it because you're broken? Is it because your faith is faintly burning? Your sin and misery? You see, dear Christian, your sin and misery is no proof that God doesn't love you. Your sin and misery... Is an opportunity for grace. Your sin and misery is opportunity for God to love you. You see, God promises to heal the brokenhearted. He promises peace to the broken, to the poor in spirit. He has come not to call the righteous, but the wicked. So don't focus on the bruised reed or the faintly burning wick. Don't look at your life. Look at this text and look to God. He will not break. You're broken, but he will not break. You're faintly burning, but he will not quench. His word is true. I know the fear of reprobation. Anytime this doctrine is confessed, the bruised, the broken, And the faintly burning begin to question themselves. And they'll hear this doctrine and they'll think, am I Saul? I can't overcome this sin. Misery follows me everywhere I go. Am I reprobate? Does God love me? Or has he passed over me too? Where is God? And how do you get God back when he seems so far away? How do we not end up like chapter 31? And there's an answer for us, dear Christian. If you have your Bibles, turn with me to Romans 10. We'll end here. Romans 10, verse 9. Romans 10, 9 says, Because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes and is justified, and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. Look at verse 13. It says, For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Where is God? In times past, God the Father, where was He? He was so loving the world that He gave His only Son. Where is God? He was so loving the world that He offered His Son as a sacrifice. Where is God? Christ willfully bore the sin of His people. He became sin on the cross and died. Where is God? He was buried in a tomb for three days. Where is God? Death could not keep Christ. He rose again from the dead. Where was God? Where was Christ when he was on the cross? Saying, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? God the Father passed over his son. Left him on his own with our sin and misery. That he might not pass over you. And where is God? He ascended into heaven. Where is God? He now sits at the right hand of the Father. Where is God? He is sending his Holy Spirit as a sure pledge to lead us to seek the things above and not things on the earth. Where is God? Perhaps you're looking in the wrong place. You see, Saul was searching for God in this world and in its ways and in its power. And the world today seeks for God in its wisdom and in its sacrifices. But where is God found? He is found in the word proclaimed. That's Romans 10. Where is God? He is found in the preaching of the word of God. The word of God that promises you that he will never leave or forsake you. Where is God? He is near, in your mouth and in your heart. And Christ is now closer than a brother. Faith comes by hearing, and by faith, Christ is closer than a brother and he will never leave. How do I know if I'm elect? How do you know if you're elect? Trust the gospel. For today is the day of salvation. Today is the day to find God and find that He is as close to you as bread and wine, that is, a body broken for you and blood poured out for the remission of all your sins. And we become one. To those who believe, so lift up your hearts. Dear Christian, and find your Savior. In the name of the King, eternal, invisible, be glory now and forevermore. Amen. At Covenant Reformed Church in Missoula, Montana, we sincerely believe God's Word and faithfully teach it. We invite you to worship with us on Sundays. For more information, please visit MissoulaURC.com. That's MissoulaURC.com.